0: Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio with Nancy and Lisa. You know, every first Tuesday, we get excited because we get to focus on one of our favorite places in the country – we get to go to Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, we host this show with our friend Stephen Karen Wilson. They are known as Mr. and Mrs. Wild because they're either out uh, looking for wildlife. Or hanging out listening to local bands and regional bands. And actually, they travel all over looking for music. Uh, And they've done it around the world for wildlife, too. (laughs) Uh, But they own and run the Lion and the Rose Bed and Breakfast, aptly named, um, in the Montfort Historic District of Asheville, North Carolina. I encourage you to go to their site, lion-rose.com. Uh, But today they said, you know, we we talk a lot about tourism. They've been on the show telling us about what to do, you know, festivals. Uh, They've talked about uh, beer and wine. We've had all kinds of guests on the show talking about the music, the history, um, everything, pretty much. But today they were like, you know what? It's April. You know, Earth Day is coming. It's spring. They wanted to bring uh, the Appalachian Wildlife Refuge into the spotlight. And so they're bringing Savannah Trantham on. She's the executive director and co founder of the Appalachian Wild Refuge and encourage you to go to their website appalachianwild.org so uh, welcome to the show Savannah how are you? Thank you for having me hey, We're glad to have you here and Steve and Karen, Mr. and Mrs. Wild um, are you behaving yourselves in
1: Asheville? <laughs> mm. that, that's
0: a trick question Sure oh, my! <laughs> <laughs> are, are things getting wild out there? I know. Um, well, spring is in the air, right? Um, so, Karen, tell us yes. a little bit about why you—you know—we want to bring Appalachian Wild uh, Wildlife Refuge on the show. How did you first connect with them?
1: Uh, when we first started, and ge- when we first got here four and a half years ago, we started looking at um, nonprofit organizations we could help out because, of course, we want to help the community in any way we can. And as you know, like wildlife and veterans are like our main things we like to lean towards. Um, so I just did a search around. We work with um, Asheville Humane Society as well. But I liked Appalachian Wild just because it was something smaller, something that was about rehabilitation and um, releasing back into the wild. And that's something we ble- deeply believe in.
0: Oh, it's awesome. It's um, Savannah, can you give everyone an overview of uh, Appalachian Wildlife Refuge, because it, it seems like, you know, your region um, is so full of wildlife. Even, you know, the Steve, you talk about, you know, the bears walking through the neighborhood and then even, you know, guests at the B&B think, like, why is there a bear outside the window who has a pet and run, yeah. that's run mm-hmm. loose, right? So, like, it seems like wildlife oh, yeah. is prevalent, whether you're in the suburbs or the city, which it doesn't feel like a city, but, you know, um, or out, you know, maybe exploring even the Blue Ridge Parkway or the, you know, Pisgah National Forest, you know, you could be anywhere in the wilderness areas and encounter wildlife. So it seems like you guys um, kind of did this out of the, 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 like, just a workload of wildlife that needed help.
2: Uh, That's right. So, you know, Asheville and the surrounding area of Western North Carolina, it's, it's really a melting pot of, of people and wildlife. And it is an area that people move into and and they come and visit um, and they spend a lot of time in a lot of times because they want to connect with, with nature and wildlife. And it's kind of the perfect mesh of all of those. Um, And with all that, we see more and more human and wildlife interactions and there was a steady need and, um, an, an increase every single year of injured orphan wildlife that needed somewhere to go. They needed, uh, a space that created a rehabilitative care for them. Yeah. And we just didn't have that in Western North Carolina. And so in, um, in the 2014 and a little bit before that, we had a group of people come together and, and said, you know, how, do, how can we make this happen? And we worked really hard um, to get ourselves established as a nonprofit and then really build a foundation um, before we opened our doors and started accepting wildlife as an operation. Mm. And when we, we did that and uh, we opened our facility in 2018 and um, it has been wide open ever since. <laughs> and the needs continues to grow. We see uh, we see an increase every single year of animals that are coming in. And the majority of them are coming in because they truly need rehabilitative care. It's it's um, human and wildlife interactions that lead to injured or orphan wildlife that need, um, oh, need help to get uh, back to the point that they can go back into the wild.
0: Is, is it mostly? um you know, you say human and wildlife interaction, is that mostly like from cars hitting animals or is it, you know, because I know spring is such a, it's an important time to talk because there's baby birds and falling out of nests. And, you know, then also we don't understand when animals are left in their nests and mommies going off hunting or, you know, mm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, what, what when you talk about this human Interaction with the wildlife, what are the most important things that we, we all need to understand so we do the right things?
2: Yeah, spring is a great time to talk about it because um, the spring and summer months in our area is the time that the wildlife is really booming. That's when everybody who left for the winter is coming back and they're nesting, they're having babies. We are, uh, everybody is out and active. Um, everybody who hibernated for the winter is out and uh, moving and eating. And so the, the spring and summer are really busy for those reasons. And there's also a lot more tourism and, uh, visitors mm-hmm. in the area. So we see it, even an increase in, in people in the region. And, um, so yeah, we see them for a variety of reasons. Uh, hit by cars is a big reason that wildlife come in. We also have them because, um, the cat and dogs get babies or adult animals, depending on the situation. Um, we get a lot of them that come in that have been hit by lawnmowers or weed eaters, uh, farm equipment. We have oh, a lot wow. of rural areas in this um, region. And so we also get a lot of animals that come in that have been hit by farm equipment and, um, A lot of it is sometimes things such as nests being destroyed. We're, we're right now in the middle of, um, baby squirrel season. And so if people are cutting down trees Mm -hmm. or, uh, trees even come down with high winds, like we just had over the weekend, um, we will get a lot Mm -hmm. of baby squirrels that are orphaned. Um, a lot of times we get animals that come in because people think they need help. And in reality, they are just fine (laughs) by themselves. So we, uh, Mm We do a lot of education as well through our hotline to help people uh, determine if the animal really truly needs to come into care because wildlife um, moms know best and they, a lot of times are going to leave their babies in safe spaces while they go out and forage or look for food. And a lot of times people stumble upon these babies who are by themselves and assume they need help because they think Mm -hmm. they're orphaned. And so we, uh, we do see quite a few that come in that have been taken out of the wild that don't necessarily need to be taken out of the wild. Um, and then we also have a lot of animals that come in that um, are considered kind of part of the nuisance wildlife categories. Um, and so people are trying to remove them or neighbors get involved. Um, we get a lot of them that come in that have been um, gunshots and a number mm. of other factors like that. Um, and so it's, mm. it's a kind of a wide variety of, of why they're coming in to care.
0: Man, that education that... is such a, a big part of what needs
1: to happen to to let people know what to do, when to do it, and when not to. Mm.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, because people mm. do kind of react, mm-hmm. and and if they don't know about the animal, first of all, it could be extremely dangerous, and and maybe sometimes removing the animal that just needs to be left alone.
0: Mm-hmm. I and see give that on um... space. Yeah, Nancy was saying, you know, when you go on Facebook, there's all these groups, and I belong to a lot of North Carolina groups. It's all Steve's fault. Yes. <laughs> I don't know, but there's okay. a lot of mushroom things going on in North Carolina and South Carolina and oh. the wildlife. And you'll see people go, oh. I get nothing to do with them
2: mushrooms.
0: Yeah, yeah you right. got to watch out. But the, the snakes, especially people are like, you need to leave the snake alone. Mm. And, like, one lady thought the snake was mm. – sick because of the eyes had white over it and somebody's like leave the snake alone he's shedding his skin or her skin skin. yeah and Mm -hmm. and people are like no you've got to take it to rehab now and there's this war going on on facebook so how much of what you do is actually (laughs) trying to get the social media world to understand like leave the snake to shed its skin and let it have a safe place while it's doing it
2: yeah. So, you know, a, a whole third of our mission and our purpose is education um, and education to the community and to the public. And there are a lot of um, myths and beliefs that are out there about wildlife. There's a lot of things that are uh, cultural. There's a lot of things that are passed mm. down for, our, for generations. Um, mm-hmm. we live in an area that they're, um, especially in our really rural areas, um, of this region that you know, there's a lot of things that are passed generationally. And so we, um, that was one of the things that was really important to us that, you know, yes, we needed a place for wildlife, but we also needed to look at why are wildlife animals coming in? Why are, why are mm-hmm. we seeing patients and what, things that we're seeing uh, as causes, do we have the ability to have some control to help prevent because in the ideal world, we would actually see a decrease in animals coming in every year, because we would be able to help keep more and more animals in the wild and not Mm -hmm. having to come in for these reasons. And so Mm -hmm. we, we have our, Mm -hmm. um, our hotline who spends our hotline is open seven days a week, uh, 12 hours a day in our busy season. And they are a lot of the calls that they're fielding are, are education based. Um, it's a lot of just talking to people, letting them know that what they're experiencing or what they're seeing is normal or is something that's just part of the process for wildlife um, and, and a normal behavior or routine. And then we have worked really hard to have a community presence with um, events and different presentations that we're doing, and then all of our social media outlets, we we really put an effort in education because um, that is a big piece to what we're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: huge. That's really That's- the most important factor, really, is the education
0: mm-hmm.
1: part, you know, because people don't know what they don't know. And it's, wildlife is a, it's a tricky, tricky thing. Mm-hmm. You
0: know,
1: yes. you can't just pick up a snake.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I know some people who do, but yeah, yeah I know. But but, but, but it's it's a not it's me. a thing. No, it's a thing because <laughs> there's relocating or moving, and you know the animal's wild. You know, and that's the other thing. I think people and scared. How much of of mm-hmm. what you do through education is people not actually understanding how wild an animal is? That they even a bird can peck your eye out, kind of thing. That's- yeah, I think, sorry, you know, the, rea- <laughs> the,
2: the, sorry. the uh, I mean, we have some birds that, that are very dangerous. Yes. So the, the reality is, is that, um, as wonderful as the internet and social media is, um, there's a lot of self-proclaimed experts on, mm-hmm. on things mm-hmm. and on topics. And, um, you know, if you, if you are a part of any of the groups and things, if you notice how quick. When someone puts out um, a question about a baby bunny, for example, um, it will very, very quickly become, there's lots of people who have uh, opinions on how to take care of that baby bunny. And in reality, um, none of them are really licensed rehabilitators or people who have the experience. And one of the things that we talk to people a lot about is that um, raising wildlife while maybe you have experience with domestic rabbits, it is very, very different, um, in not just what they need uh, nutritionally, but also in all the things that we Mm -hmm. have to ensure that they know how to do, uh, psychologically and, um, all the behaviors that they need. And these are, these are all things that as, rehabilitators as the facility that we are um it's years and years and years of um of education and training and um professional development and a number of pieces and so um a lot of times we end up talking to people after they've kind of gone down the rabbit holes of Mm -hmm. social media or other places of the internet in general (laughs) Um, we get a lot of animals that come in that people have tried to raise themselves for a while Um, in the state of North Carolina it is illegal to keep any native wildlife for more than 24 hours and Mm. so uh, without the appropriate licensing and permitting and so a lot of times you know people who try to keep them either figure that out and then call us, um, or they call us after the animal is not doing well. And we step in and help them and, and do everything that we can. And so there it's a, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that, um, the internet and social media is, is there and it can be beneficial, but it's also a lot of, um, misinformation and things that if you're not really spending the time to do your research can, can get the animals in a position that isn't best for them. Mm. So let's, let's look mm. at like um, guests coming
0: into Asheville. Cause you do get a lot going to all the natural areas and especially spring. We talk about birds and um, you know, it's baby season. And a lot of times mm. there's going to be, whether it's squirrels or, or birds, you know, not everybody in the pack or the cl- whatever group of, of, I mean, I had to just, I don't know what some car just, killed an opossum where we are in Lubbock, Texas, the first day I wake up in the morning here and we travel full time. And yeah, no, not only did we have no internet, Mm -hmm. but maybe the opossum and the internet got together. I don't know. But this poor opossum (laughs) just got, I think, got hit by a car in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. and it crawled up to where the tree is here and, and passed away. And so I had to take care of the opossum and I was like, God, what are the rules here? You know? are you allowed to are people paranoid about rabies and what do you do? And, and so, you know, there was like this whole thing. And because I, and I was, you know, I'm not, um, uh, uh, Nancy and I are very familiar with wildlife and, and done a lot in conservation and I'm going, oh, my God, there's going to be different rules because we're in a different town. I don't know what these are. And that's why Mm -hmm. I keep thinking we travel full time and we're in parks across the country and everything is different. You know, the Mm -hmm. birds are different. The bugs are different. The snakes are different. Everything is always different. And Mm -hmm. we always have to constantly check ourselves like, wait, this is different than here. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's not what you just lived with a, a couple months ago. And it's always different. And every place has different rules and different behaviors according to what what your your landscape is, right? And and your your mm-hmm. di- your, you know, ecology is. So it's always this different thing. So I always think as travelers, we've got to kind of almost I, I would like to see more being done in the tourism um sphere of understanding wildlife You know, when you think about places like Asheville, you've got the Blue Ridge Parkway, like I was saying, Mm -hmm. the forest and Smoky Mountains National Park and everything. And and even sometimes then you're in areas that your cell phone doesn't work. I think as travelers, I feel like we need to kind of arm ourselves with some extra information before we go on a hike. What do you think, Savannah? Like is what can we do as travelers to be better stewards? to the wildlife. So that if we see something, we know a little bit more. I'm not saying we have to go to college or anything, but there's some basics that maybe we should be familiar with before we just start mm-hmm. stepping out into the wilderness.
2: Yeah, definitely. Those are, those are great points. And I think that there's a number of things that people can do um, if they, they are frequent travelers or they frequent um, other States, or even if they're just frequenting areas that don't have a lot of good um cell service or internet service. Um, even if it's in areas like around here where a lot of people are constantly out hiking and, um, enjoying the, the different, um, all the different things that this area has to offer. And and a lot of that means that there's not self-service and internet service. And so, um, some of it could just simply be, um, spending some time to educate yourself on some of the natural behaviors of some of the most common species, because that's not really going to change from state to state or region to region. Um, so for example, songbirds, um, we get a lot of bird calls in the summertime with, that there's a bird on the ground that can't fly. And with songbirds, once they come out of the nest as babies, um, and they're in what's called the fledgling stage, they have to learn to fly. And they do that by coming out of the nest and coming to the ground and then getting basically learning how to use their wings from the ground. And so a lot of times, um, we'll get those phone calls that there's, there's a, a bird on the ground that's hurt. It's not flying. And in reality, it's a baby that is learning how to fly. And so if we just leave that baby alone um, for a day or a few hours, they very quickly figure out how to uh, get themselves up off the ground. And especially if there are other birds in the area, um, we have a lot of people who bring us birds and say, I was being dive bombed by these other birds while I was trying to pick this one up. <laughs> and it's in the reality, mm-hmm. that's the parents trying to tell you to get away from their baby. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so when they're on the ground, the parents are still caring for them. They're still taking, um, you know, paying attention to them. And as long as they're in a, a somewhat safe space, there's not uh, cats stalking them or dogs, mm-hmm. or they're not on the side of a road. Um, it's totally fine to leave them alone. And it could be something you come back and check later, see if they're still there Um, other ones that are very common are deer. Um, so fawns are ones that babies get left, um, in a safe space by mom. They have the camouflage to blend into their environment. They, um, they have no scent and, and they know to lay perfectly still. And so mom will put them in a safe spot. She'll go out and do her foraging and other things. And then she'll come back to the baby but she will not come back if she feels like there's threats. And so if people are close by, if there's dogs, if there's children, um, any of these things that are considered a threat, she's not going to bring attention to her baby. And so mm. a lot of times, um, mm. those are things that people can you know, watch from a distance, come back and check later. If it's a fawn that is truly in need of help, it will likely be um crying and looking for things so it would might be following you or um would be up moving around those are all indications that it's um you know looking for mom or it's hungry um rabbits are another one that rabbits make their nests sometimes in the most horrible places and it's just a depression in the ground um mom is only there in the morning and the evening right at dusk and dawn, Mm -hmm. and you're not going to see her usually. And so if people call us about nest of bunnies, they think that because mom is not at the nest, the babies are orphans. And so we do a number of things, um, such as using twigs or long pieces of grass, making, uh, X's or tic-tac-toe patterns over top of the nest, and then checking again after either dusk or dawn, whichever, um, your rotation you're in. And if those pieces of twig or grass are messed up, then we know that mom has come back to feed them. And so a lot of things Mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of learning some of those little tips and tricks of species that are common, no matter where you are, um, that if you come across a baby, uh, that you're gonna, you, you would be able to recognize, oh, this animal might need help. Um, other key factors is if you come across an animal that is, um, bleeding is lethargic is not running away from you. Um, these would all be indications that they probably need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also probably taking some time if you're, especially if you're going to a different state, um, or places, if you're really someone who thinks, Hey, I might, I might run into things or at least I want to know how to be prepared. Um, just making an effort to look at the, the state wildlife, um, organization. So every state has a wildlife organization that mandates and regulates all the wildlife activity and all that information would be on their website. They could, um, it might be a list of rehabilitators. It might be a list of resources, uh, maybe what the laws and the Mm. regulations are because every state is a little bit different. And so, Mm. um, that would be a way to kind of arm yourself with information or at least resources if you needed them. Um, there's Mm. also a, nationwide, um, they're an organization. They, but it's a resource it's called animal help now, and they have set up where no matter where you are, you can go into their app or their website and put in information of where you are, what you have that needs help. And then it, um, connects you with a list of resources, um, of rehabilitators or people. Wow. That are within your area oh, that you cool. can get help from. That's so that's always cool. a good one too yeah, because, that is you know,
1: cool a, a lot of times when when you're out in the wilderness and you see an animal and you believe it and you tell 90% of the time you're wrong and 90% mm-hmm. of the time when you are animal you make it worse you know right. it's yeah. it's it, mm-hmm. usually the parents are somewhere lurking by and watching and they're mm-hmm. going to run when you front.
0: Well I remember once a, oh. a baby or well, they either run or
1: attack one or the well, other depending well, on the kind of animal.
0: Can't you also yeah. like if you try to help a bird like a like a crow will start to hang on to that person and then the parents won't want the crow again or something isn't there something like that too like not like animals won't come back and help the baby if you've touched it. Is that a
2: mm-hmm.
0: myth or
2: yeah, that's, that's actually kind of an old wives tale. Um, so, okay. yeah, it's a that. great point. Yeah. So, you know, uh, that's kind of the thing that, um, at least I know in, in this region, um, I've, I've heard my whole life, um, cause I'm, I'm generationally from this area and, um, you know, I've heard my, my whole life. Don't, don't touch the baby bird. Mom won't come back. Um, but in reality, birds actually don't have a sense of smell. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. So oh. they actually have no way. Um, there's a few of them that have smell, but most of them do not. And, and they can't actually recognize that right. you've handled it, um, with other things like mammals, um, that do have a sense of smell and things, you know, for the most part, just like in humans, that innate mother nature is so strong that, mm-hmm. Unless that animal, that baby has been removed for an extended period of time and has been exposed to a number of scents and smells that would be um, more of like a predator concern or a threat to the mother, they're going to take those babies back. And so we try really hard, you know, if, if we get babies that come through or phone calls about babies that we feel like we can renest. We will put every effort we can into taking them back to where they were found, doing all the things we can possibly do to re-nest them. Um, Because again, the mothers are always going to do a better job than we are. And so that would be our, that's Mm. our ultimate goal is um, if we can re-nest them or reunite them with mom, we do everything in our power to do that.
0: Mm. That's awesome. You know, and also the other thing is like when I was talking about this opossum here in Texas, at first, I was like, you know, this, this could be playing dead. You know, we don't know if it's just stunned, if it's lying mm-hmm. there to know if it's safe yet. And because there was like movement in, in like little plants around it. And I thought, okay, I don't know if it's moving it. Is it the wind? Yeah, it's the wind here in Lubbock. Um, but, it, but you know, mm-hmm. so I'd, I waited it out to see if this animal is going to move at all. We just sat watching it mm-hmm. because I thought, you know, you yeah. don't know. And it's a wild animal. And and it's incredibly sad. And opossums. I had a friend who just was a rehabilitator and a rescuer for baby opossums, mm-hmm. and we used to go feed them and help and take mm-hmm. care of them. And and they're crazy. Like they're. I mean, they're. I'm cool. Like I mean, like crazy cool. Like their little faces, and they're like. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I love them like bats and everything. And <laughs> um, but but that. But I wanted to talk about that playing dead because snakes will play dead, mm-hmm. and I wonder about mm-hmm. people trying to pick up wildlife not understanding and, and thinking, oh, this is dead, or I need to do something where you could actually get hurt with an animal playing dead out of safety.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the reality is that all wildlife um, pose potential danger to humans. And so, you know, we, we have to look at it in the concept that, you um, they have to do what they have to do to protect themselves, defend, defend, themselves, that kind of fight or flight moment. And, um, a lot of them only have certain ways that they can defend themselves. And so for species that kind of do this playing dead concept, um, you know, that is part of their defense mechanism is that if they play dead, if they, uh, release, musks and odors that make them smell dead. If they, there, we have some, um, there's some snake species that even can, um, kind of on cue bust, uh, capillaries in their mouth so that they actually look like they're bleeding. Um, all of these Mm. things, make the predator think that, okay, this is, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I don't want to eat this animal or I don't want to deal with this. Um, and so even for animals that, you know, they're rather they're doing it intentionally or maybe they're just in shock. So a lot of times we'll mm-hmm. have animals that come in that, you know, they've been hit by a car, but they really have only been stunned by that car. Um, those animals, once they kind of come to their senses a little bit, um, or they realize maybe that, you know, if it's they're intentionally kind of playing dead, they, they realize that it's safe again, or that this is their moment to get away. Um, they're going to come to very quickly. And so, um, one of the things that we encourage people to do a lot is don't assume that just because they're not moving around a lot right now, that they're not going to all of a sudden, um, we need, we still need to do all the things to protect you as a, as a person, um, to ensure that you're safe. Um, you know, even our baby animals still have means to protect themselves, um, rather that scratching or biting. And so one mm-hmm. of our, the things that we do is, um, as part of our hotline and our education to people that we're helping, if, if we've determined that the animal really needs to be helped, um, is that we're walking them through what is the safest way for you to do this? Um, because Mm -hmm. we also worry not only about the scratching or the biting, um, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing of a wild animal, but also the fact that animals carry diseases, they carry, uh, pathogens and other things Mm -hmm. that. Um, they could be something that you might be susceptible to, or you have not been exposed to, or maybe your pets or your children. And so it's really important that we always make all the effort um, to protect the people who are trying to help. Or if you're working, if you're trying to help wildlife, you're protecting yourself um, Mm -hmm. in a number of ways for, for safety reasons, Mm -hmm. for disease reasons, all of those things.
0: Yeah. I remember like the baby opossums, we had to wear big, long gloves and stuff Mm -hmm. you weren't you weren't allowed to go and hand feed opossums yeah and like this that's like this dead dead opossum like you like I don't I think you what would you say if I called you and said I think I have a dead
2: opossum but I'm not sure what would you do? What would you say? Like, yeah. -hmm. Yeah, So, you know, it, it would be a conversation to say, um, you know, why, what are, what are the things that you're seeing that you feel like that it might be dead or it may not be dead? Um, are you, um, is it in a place that you can safely approach it? Um, we get a lot of calls about animals on the side of roads and highways and, People want to help, but, you know, we often have to be very mindful of that. Is it safe for you to approach this animal on the side of a highway or a road, Mm. um, et cetera. So it would be a conversation Mm -hmm. about, um, your safety of, of the area that you're in. And then if we talk through these pieces and we determine that, yes, the animal, um, is expired, then it would also potentially with possums because they have a pouch and their babies are in that pouch. Um, they're still viable after mom is gone. And so a lot of times it's also a conversation of, um, you know, are you comfortable checking to see if it's a male or a female? And if it is a female, are you comfortable Mm -hmm. looking to see if there's babies, um, in her pouch, which is uh, just basically a flap of skin on her belly. And if, um, if it is, then we would talk through what's the best way to help those babies if they're still alive. And so, um, sometimes for us, that means we just encourage the person to bring us the possum, um, and we remove the babies from the pouch and all that. Um, so that it's safe that we are not asking somebody to do that on the side of a road. Um, we make sure we get all the babies. Um, there's a number of factors that way. And then for other play other situations, the people maybe have already acquired the babies out of the pouch and they're calling us. They they can confirm, yes, this mother is gone. Um, we got the babies, and then we we go from there. Wow. I
1: was reading the other day. This mm-hmm. lady was walking from her house to her garage, and an owl attacked her hair. And it flew off because she kind of hit it because it was, you know, clutching at her hair, and it flew back and tried again. And I'm thinking, man, you need to change your hair color or something, <laughs> you know, or put a hat on or something. But, I mean, it's kind of it's funny tippy in a way. But, yeah, really. I know. Yeah, really. <laughs> but, I mean, it is, the closer we are with nature, we keep encroaching and encroaching and encroaching um, on what would mm-hmm. normally be their territory. Things are going to happen. So in a way, you know, it's like, I, yeah, I don't know how to say this, but um, maybe mouse brown's not the right color. I don't know.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but <laughs> you know, but isn't but doesn't I, that also just knowing that maybe there's a nest there, and and that's something that you, we can all be mm-hmm. aware of, just even in our gardens or your exactly. local community parks, and you know, that's. With this coexistence, Savannah, isn't that the, like you're from the very beginning of our conversation today is it is about the human animal interaction, but we also have to coexist. So it's understanding that maybe a mom is there protecting her baby or the dad.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. a lot of it is understanding that, you know, we, especially in, in an area like ours where um, we're we're seeing more and more development in wild places. Um, we're seeing more and more, Mm -hmm. um, wildlife is, is right in people's backyard or on their porches, Mm -hmm. et cetera, because of where their, their homes are, um, that Mm -hmm. figuring out how to coexist. And so in situations where, um, identifying and knowing, um, that, you know, this, this bird is flying at me every time I walk out my door, identifying that there's probably a nest there and they're being territorial to protect that nest. And um, you know, if we're talking to somebody, our, so some of the solutions are, can you use another door? Do you have yeah. to go through that door? Do you, can you in the short mm-hmm. window of time that they're going to be in that nest, can you utilize a different space? Um, Check. we do that a lot with rabbits and that, you know, people will oh. call us and there's a rabbit nest, um, in my, in a dog lot or in a backyard or around a children's playground set. And with rabbits, the babies from, from the time that they're born until they're ready to leave the nest is usually about three weeks at most. And that's it. Wow. Yeah. And so typically when, when people, by the time people find bunnies, usually they're already a week or more into this process. And so we can, um, we can talk people through ways to, you know, can, can you, not use the playground for a couple of more days, or can you leave your dog, um, inside? Can you walk your dog on a leash so they're not just Mm -hmm. in the backyard for, for 10 days? Um, and so we, we really try to talk through how can you, how can we not disturb, um, the, the natural behavior that is happening with these animals, um, Mm -hmm. and to help keep you safe or your pet safe, um, and for every single situation, it's going to be potentially a little bit different. And mm-hmm. so that's where it's so important that we have our hotline. And this, the, um, the, that happens is that, that full conversation in the beginning. And a lot of the calls that are coming into our hotline, we're able to work with these folks who are calling in mm-hmm. with questions of, you know, this is happening or that's happening. I'm experiencing this. And we can work with them to figure out how best to coexist um, either in the moment or for a more long period of time.
0: Wow. I want to I get into how we can all help you and talk about volunteers and going through your wish list. And I, I was just like, wow, look at this. Um, you obviously, you know, you you guys are doing so much and, and you're doing it residentially and, you know, from the tourism side, you know, the wild areas. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I wanted to just touch on this. Like Steve and Karen have a certified uh, wildlife habitat, a backyard wildlife habitat that Anyone can do in their house, uh, at their house, in their garden, even if they have a porch, patio. Mm-hmm. If you at it, your business, um, like Stephen Karen's, a bed and breakfast, and and a lot of bed and breakfasts do it, and I wish a lot more did. And it's really Thank about you. not having a dead space in a neighborhood, right, and creating. Mm-hmm. A, a habitat that has the food, the shelter, the water, not putting chemicals down. And, like, I, I mean, we've seen all kinds of birds. I mean, even, and I hate to say this, Stephen, Karen, but we know Ozzy and I found a little <laughs> snake the one day, but it was like a little rat snake. It wasn't anything um, mm-hmm. that yeah. that should be scared of. And yeah, that's a brown my snake point. the other day. Yeah, see, I think it was a brown snake. Was it out there by the actual habitat sign? Um, it, mm-hmm. It's
1: Yeah, it was on the lawn, and I picked him up yeah. and he peed on me.
0: Oh well, see, he <laughs> said, "No, don't eat me. Like I'm going to be stinky on you. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to give you the stinkies." Yep. But this is this is oh, the thing: funny. is that having oh, these gosh. habitats, and I wonder, like, how far-reaching this can go. Like, especially with Stephen Karen having it, their business, um, it kind of gives mm-hmm. people an introduction to the wildlife. Because I know you've also had a bear go through your backyard, mm-hmm. um, and you know, to <laughs> have mm-hmm. an int- and you have the squirrels. We know that. To have this introduction, mm-hmm. I mean, they're in a historic downtown district, and yet here's this wildlife, right? Living right there. Right. And for guests to come and be able to sit outside in the garden, take in this wildlife or observe it while they're having breakfast and seeing the squirrels, the birds, and then people doing it, hopefully, in their at their own homes, that they start to watch the mm-hmm. wildlife with their kids and start to uh-huh. understand the wildlife and see how wildlife lives, do you think that is a step that we can take cuz at the same time that could also lead to interaction that we don't want right so there's this balance but I think mm-hmm. we we need these spaces right and if if we do it out of mm-hmm. let's learn and observe wouldn't that be the way to do it to help
2: Yeah I think that you know one of the one of the foundations that we try to work off of is that Um, We have to cultivate and nurture this uh, desire for people to protect wildlife and wild places. And
0: Mm -hmm.
2: while we, as rehabilitators, were directly working with those injured and orphaned animals that people are coming in contact with, there's a much bigger piece to that of not only do we have, how do we prevent those, those human caused reasons that wildlife is coming in, but even to the point of that coexisting and, um, the, the desire to still have these wild places, um, and, and how to work with these kind of nuisance wildlife situations and a number of those factors and things like, um, certified wildlife back habitats in backyards is, is a great way for people to get involved. Um, there's also so many ways that, Um, homeowners and families can do things that don't even go to the full extent of being a certified habitat, but just doing things that provide, um, water and food and shelter for wildlife, Mm -hmm. encouraging that it's okay for them to be in your space and to share that space, um, doing things that don't create nuisance wildlife, um, but that are also not pushing the wildlife out because the more that we push them out in a way, um, the more nuisance that we actually have. And so it's Mm. a lot of that kind of learning how to coexist. Mm. And, you know, for a a lot of it is we're connecting with, um, adults and people uh, in that generation, but we Mm. also work with a lot of kids and a lot of it is getting kids excited about it. They tend to go home and get their parents excited about it or grandparents or aunts and uncles Mm -hmm. and all those people. And, you know, they're, they're that next generation. They're the ones that are going to be the ones that really help us, um, ensure that it's, it's continuing once, you know, we're not doing it anymore. And so, um, you know, a lot of it is, it's that it's, it, it goes back to the education, the getting people excited about coexisting and, What they can do to to nurture, um, even if it's just having bird feeders and having um, water, bird baths, and other water that's out there. There's just so many ways that people can do this. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether it's a, they're in an apartment setting or they're in a, they own a home with property or it's a business um, that that has abilities to do these things.
1: Mm. My parents used Mm -hmm. to go out into the desert and take tortoises out of the wild. Dude. And bring them home as pets. Dude. And it's not. Mm. And seriously, you know, as a kid growing up, I love all the wildlife and animals because I was around them a lot. But it wasn't until um, I, you know, I got older that I looked back and went, dude, what were you doing? She actually took animals out of the wild and brought them, even though a tortoise is, it's not like trying to catch a leopard or something. But seriously they used <laughs> to do that there was that generation that oh I could just go out here and get this you know and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I think we're mostly past that now I hope but there are still times when so. wildlife meets people and we aren't really taught so much how to react or what to do you know, especially they if don't you're from it, a,
0: in, a city if you're yeah, from a city but, uh, yeah, yeah you don't hear that much
1: Yeah, and I mean, I remember going to Yellowstone Park and um, trying to feed a deer, and a ranger stopped and said, what the heck are you doing? I'm like, I'm feeding the deer, and he's like, no, you're not, don't you do it again, Mm. you know, and he he said he would give me a ticket, and so I was like, they're so cute, you know, because that's how I was raised, you know, and I was pregnant Mm -hmm. with Lisa at the time, and he looked at me, he goes, you have any idea? How dangerous this is. You know? And he really taught me a lesson. He really, really did. The almost gave me a ticket for 75 bucks. I had to talk my way up. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I was so
2: see my
1: baby. I know. He's so cute at those big eyes. You know, and but <laughs> the deer, the deer did rise up on his yeah. back feet and paw at me. And then I'm like, oh, wow. oh,
2: wow. uh.
0: Uh oh! Now, now you know why I have such a sick yeah. sense of humor. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> something
1: hit me in the like, head. No, it was like I really learned a lesson that lovely. day. Yeah, yeah, it was like we you didn't know a deer could be aggressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yes, deer it's can. Mm-hmm. It's,
0: it's a baddie, you know. I've had to herd deer out of gardens and things for people, and Ooh. you can get kicks. And they look. Yeah. Easy. I mean, you've got to. You've got to. Um. It. It is a. This, this education thing is so huge. And Savannah, I wonder, especially if you're in a city that a lot of times the city, I mean, they're talking about, you know, gators are coming in closer in places like South Carolina and Florida and people are getting hurt. Their animals are getting hurt because there's this like almost unawareness. Like I'm in a city, I'm safe. And that doesn't, that's not true. Um, and it, this coexistence, that's why I say like cities, they're having hawks and owls nest in places that you never would think the animals are adapting more than the humans are adapting yet, you know, we're all supposed to be in this wild world together. So I think what you're doing is so huge and important on the education and then the, the rehab side. Mm -hmm. Um, How, how important is volunteers and how, how hard is that because you're dealing with wildlife. So there's gotta be, a ton of training. I was looking on your wish list, and I see a lot of books on there. Um, are you working with interns? Like, so how how does that work for you to do that much education on the phone lines and and the rehab work itself?
2: Yeah. So our facility, um, we started out as all volunteer, and we've been it's been wonderful in that we've grown to the point. Um, fortunately and unfortunately, because the the growth is there because the need is there. Um, and so we've been able to grow to the point that we've added staff now, which is, um, which has been very beneficial to be able to do all that we do. Um, but we still really run because of our volunteers. Um, and we have a a really large core of volunteers. We have, um, well over a hundred volunteers that help us in a variety of ways. Wow. And, that's um, a lot. The, yeah, mm-hmm. and the things like our hotline. Um, our hotline is fully manned by volunteers, and so oh. volunteers make that possible. Um, the we have a number of volunteers that work directly in our facility, working with wildlife, doing rehabilitative care with us, um, and we have a number of people who are doing other things. So we we run. Um, you know, we serve all of Western North Carolina. That's pinning on who you talk to and what you look at, it's, it's up to 22 counties. And, um, we also even work with, um, with some animals that come out of counties outside of Western North Carolina, uh, down into the Piedmont and and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so we, we work with a large team of volunteers who help us with transport. Um, and so those people are driving hundreds of miles, um, every week to get animals to, and from finders to us, or from us to other facilities. And, the you know, volunteers make it possible. They're the ones that are they're making it possible. We work with um, just under two thousand, or right around two thousand animals a year right now, and our hotline fields oh, wow. over right at roughly five thousand calls last year, um, and so it is um, it's a big undertaking for sure. Uh, we do offer internships. We offer internships year round for students oh. who have an interest in the field or um, are working to get into the field or anything that's relative to what we do. Um, We're really unique. We're the, we're the only facility of our kind in Western North Carolina. Um, And we're the only facility in Western North Carolina that holds a number of the licensing and permitting for different species. And so we offer a unique experience for interns um, and students who want to who want to or need to get the experience of hands-on, um, a variety of species, the medical aspect. There's a, there's a number of things that we can offer with what we do that they can't get anywhere else in this region. And so that, that is a big piece. Um, and because we are a nonprofit, we're fully funded off of donations and, um, we, you know, we rely heavily on, the general public, the, um, the corporate sponsors and people that we have, um, just like Steven, Karen, um, who, you know, get involved and support what we're doing, support our mission, support the wildlife. And, um, you know, things like the wish list is a great way for people to help out if they can't physically be there or they, they don't want to do a monetary donation. There's always supplies and things that we need, uh, to do the work that we're doing. And so there, there's a lot of ways that people can get involved and help and, Uh, help us work toward our mission, but also be helping and making a difference for wildlife. It's
0: like next time you do your Amazon, just add Mm -hmm. in another thing, Mm -hmm. right? Because you talk about what Mm -hmm. you need on there. And there's like Amazon. Are you part of the Amazon smiles program? I don't know if that still goes. Does that still exist? No, so they actually
2: just canceled the Amazon smile, um, which is really unfortunate for nonprofits. Um, And so I think, there's some other options out there that we we're looking into as ways that people can, you know, do their shopping and also be doing a contribution. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That sucks. Mm -hmm. That really sucks. Uh, It's really,
2: you know, there's, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's,
0: that's why I really appreciate Stephen Karen bringing you on the show today because we do have to look at the places we travel to. We have to look at the places Mm -hmm. we live in and have Mm -hmm. those connections with not just always through these big giant, things you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like amazon right um they did a good job with that and obviously there's a lot of things people can purchase through there and have sent to you which is awesome um but i think that there's always that extra connection and i think travelers going through an area can appreciate that and be part of the place that they're in you know we're we're looking at this as you know and when you know earth days coming up etc but really even those holidays are great but this is something about when you go somewhere, um, what are you leaving and what are you learning about? What it, there's, you know, there's all these terms, uh, you know, transformational mm-hmm. uh, travel and regenerative travel, volunteering, all of these things. But the reality is of travel. Get, get, get involved and not make the mistakes like Nancy's family, which is mm-hmm. my family. Taking yeah. the, the the tortoises yeah. out, and and this is That's something crazy. that um a lot of people used to think they were helping, um yeah. and it's and you're talking about tra- traditions in especially your setting in Appalachia, and it happens in the deserts of Joshua Tree, and in all kinds of areas around the world of tradition and in wildlife conservation, it's like, okay, we're gonna tell you your family was wrong with what they're doing for mm-hmm. generations, but how how mm. do we move forward it's like this was a tradition but it doesn't mean the tradition works today you can always right. look back at a tradition but how do how do we move forward in education without killing the person who's done the wrong thing because of tra- you know what i mean how do we get people to move forward without Make there's like pride that comes with that and there's there's angst there's it's a moving forward and it's a big change. it's a cultural change without imposing mm-hmm. guilt yeah. you know what i mean there there I think guilt is always wrapped around this and looking down on people when if they've been raised a certain way and lived in an area, especially unincorporated areas i mean you know um i mean just if you've been living in the backwoods your whole life, right, you've been in the backwoods. And it doesn't mean you're stupid. Mm-hmm. It just means, hey, this is how my family has survived for years. How are we going to change that? So, can we move forward for people to not have that guilt and for other people to not look down on them? Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
2: yeah I think, you know, I think mm-hmm. Nancy said it really well earlier, and that you only know what you know. And, um, you know, for especially these areas that have uh, generation or cultural. Um, information and stories and behaviors, um, that, that those are pieces where it's just been passed down. And, and it's just they know what they know. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong of them. Um, you know, they're working off the knowledge they have. And so okay. I think that's where it comes into connecting with the next generation. It comes into connecting with the kids um, that are going to come in and fill those shoes and and fill those spaces. Um, mm-hmm. And if we can if we can nurture the importance of wildlife and wild places and try to do all that we can to share the correct information um, to change those those fears and those myths on all the species that they're around, um, we can start seeing a difference and we see it every day when we work with kids. Um, and even with families, we, we have a number of them where a family will show up with an animal that they have helped. And and the kids are really the ones that have been the driving force to get this animal to us and to help it. Um, and we, we, put the effort into interacting and engaging and and really working with those kids and those families um, because we see it in those kids that they they are seeing that they're making that connection um, and they're going to take it back with them and they're going to rather they really can make a difference at that moment, but they're going to carry it with them forever. And Mm. so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, those are the pieces that I think that's how we move forward. And, And it's not just in, what we're doing as rehabilitators, um, in this region, but just kind of on a, on a national scale or on a global scale, it's really going to be that next generation and those people Mm -hmm. that are putting in the effort to, to really nurture that with, with our next generation, our kids. I love
0: it. Uh, My, my
2: biology
1: teacher, Mr. Collins, who I had such a crush on, he's so cute. um, He he was the one who said, do you have any idea what your family has just done? And he showed me the difference between what the tortoise would eat in the wild, vitamin and mineral wise, as compared to iceberg lettuce, which is what my parents were feeding the tortoises. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. it's showing me how Mm -hmm. eventually these animals are not going to live as long and be as well as the animals in the wild. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and he really did teach me it made a big impression because so I had to go home to my parents and tell them, hey, we need to put them back. But then there was the question, once you've taken the animal all the wild, can you put them back? Like there's a, this thing about now there's a human smell on the tortoise and the others will kill it and all these kind of crazy things that I learned as a kid growing up that mm.
0: Um, mm.
1: are probably mostly not true.
0: Yeah. Well
2: there yeah there's the factor of um you know like we talked about with the babies and you know how long they've been gone but when you get into bigger conversations uh like removing tortoises um you know there's a, now a lot of those species that because that was done um so prevalently in the west um when people would go on vacation and they'd pick up a tortoise and bring it back home with them um you know those species are now really threatened and, and they're, they're Mm -hmm. struggling. And so now, you know, the, the next generation is now the ones who are trying to fix and repair that. (laughs) And so, um, you know, you see, you see a lot Mm -hmm. of that and, and we do that. We see that a lot too, is where, you know, people will take things out of the wild. We have these conversations of, you know, you've had it now for two years, three years. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this animal now potentially has lost, a lot of the natural instincts to do what they need to do. Um, mm-hmm. maybe they're now dealing with uh, a number of medical issues because they've been malnourished or they didn't have the appropriate, uh, for, for tortoises, especially and reptiles, a lot of the appropriate lighting and minerals and vitamins and a number of things. And so now if we take that animal and put it back in the wild, yeah. is it really going to thrive and do yeah. well? Um, and then what are we exposing the rest of the population to? Um, because that animal has been mm-hmm. now exposed to pathogens and different things that are in um, yeah. activity. And in, it's like in people swimming area. with dolphins
0: with their yeah. sunscreen Gosh. on and stuff. And then yeah. the sunscreen affects the dolphins and the fish. And it's like, you know, we we humans mm-hmm. are... We're the dirty ones, you know, yes. and we don't think that, you know, when we, when we lived out in Joshua Tree area, I remember we had vacant lots on either side. And, and you know, we had like we had like the wildlife garden. Trust me, and every feral cat in the neighborhood lived there coyotes. alongside coyotes and roadrunners. I mean, they all yeah. somehow coexisted in our backyard. But I yeah. remember once these two guys came out and they tried to chase and catch because wow. we had all these lizards the collared lizards and we had uh, chuckwallas and everything. Everybody knew we mm. were the haven because of Oops. the water and everything. And these guys came the out plants. trying to chase them in the vacant lots, and I had to call the cops on them, and I chased them because I will, yeah. I, I will, I will come after you if you go after a piece of wildlife. <laughs> I will get you. And these guys were trying to chase them so they could put them in a remember pet store. They jumped that, over the
1: fence, and we're like, "Oh, yeah, we're watch like, oh yeah, this. yeah,
0: watch this! I got spears we're from Avengers. I'll kill we're you." Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm not going to kill someone. But like, you know what I mean? They were so you cut your feet off. I, I and yeah, yes, and eat your, eat, your eat your feet, and you'll eat never feet. walk to heaven. That's right. But that's <laughs> but that, but that was this culture there at the time, and it was like we were in shock like, yeah. you're stealing lizards and, and Chuck out of a and road. they were trying to get road runners, road runners. as pets, yeah. for the pet industry. and in California, yeah. now has stopped mm. the pet shops, which is good, but I the know walls. that there's still tons of backyard stuff happening. Yeah. Um, but that's part of it. I wonder about wildlife, how some of the injuries come is from people trying to get them for pets. I don't, I don't know if you see that in in your area of people trying to take them as pets.
2: Oh, yeah, we, well, we see a lot more of is that when people find orphans, um, a lot of times they will try to raise them on their own and, and keep them that way. Um, we are though, you know, we're, we're in a region that in Appalachians in general, it has a lot of diversity with, um, the reptile amphibian populations. And, you know, it's, um, mm-hmm. it's not uncommon, um, every so many years, you'll see articles come through where, um, there's been a big seizure of somebody who was trying to take, um, a number of turtle species, out of the country into China for the Asian oh. turtle market. Um, and one of the yes. last ones that happened, the bulk of those turtles actually came out of the Southern Appalachians. And so, um, you know, it, it is happening and it, and it is, um, it is a reality of that, you know, that, that, that kind of thing, the black market, the, the animal trade, mm-hmm. um, the, the exotic pet trade is still very, very, uh, yep. it, it's a big industry, um, and so there's a lot of that that still happens um, kind of all all around us, um, you know, and, and we see it even in, in our region. We see it in a variety of ways. Oh, man. Well, even well, like we have
1: the, the movie star industry with permits to have tigers and, and lions on their property. Come on.
0: I know. Um, it's Giving it's, permits it's, for yes, that. That's crazy. Yeah. I think now we, we're getting better in the movies where they don't need to use animals to whether mm-hmm. you know, you know, they've we've got so much more, and so it's like I look at it as like Savannah, where you're going, like the new generation, oh. really working towards
2: mm-hmm. coexistence
0: and and doing the right thing and right. changing, and at the same time we have tools now that we didn't have before, and we have rehab centers that are a phone call away, like yours, that we really really appreciate, and we appreciate everything you do. Um, everyone again, you can go to Appalachian. Wild.org, and of course they've they've got the wish list there. You can become a donor, a volunteer, contact them, do what you can to help. But I think also uh, get to understand the wildlife when you go to Asheville um, and those surrounding areas to understand. And uh, there's so much information on their website too. Look at those flow charts. If you see a bird out of its nest or Mm -hmm. you know a baby bird, that kind of thing. They teach you about reptiles, mammals. Um, their website's awesome mm-hmm. and follow them on social media like Facebook as well. So thank you so much, Savannah. And before you go, Steve, Karen, I'm sorry, I've been a real pig asking Savannah all these questions. And it's, you know, a show with you no, guys. No, to about it. <laughs> I'm a pig. It's, yeah, it's I'm sorry. Heard a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you guys bring awesome guests on and uh, definitely Appalachian uh, Wild uh, is, uh, well, I'd say Wildlife Refuge is. Definitely um a yeah. highlight uh, to have on our show. We really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Thank you, Savannah. Yeah. Thank you all so well, much you, for Savannah. having us. Yeah, thanks, Savannah. Yeah. Yes, and everyone again, lion-rose.com is a website to go to. Uh, it is the Lion and the Rose Bed and Breakfast in the historic or the Montford Historic District in Asheville. And uh Steve and Karen will tell you, like if you want to go on a hike or see a waterfall or butterflies or they know the area they hike all the time that they can get out there um Mm -hmm. they they really do love nature and wildlife and um, will guide you the right places so uh, if you're into the wildlife they're definitely a place to stay besides steve makes good beer and a and good, good breakfast. breakfast. Yep. Yes. And they've got Ozzy <laughs> and Oreo the little uh, dogs uh, at the They're B&B so that uh, love to hike as well. So keep up with them there. Mm-hmm. And we're here every first Tuesday here on BigBlendRadio.com uh, talking about Asheville. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you yeah, so thank
2: you. much.